Hello, and welcome to another episode of Granite Justice, navigating civil legal issues in your daily life. I'm your host, Shane Cooper, an associate dean at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Please remember as you listen, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing said here by either party constitutes legal advice of any kind or creates any attorney-client relationship between a listener and New Hampshire Legal Assistance or 603 Legal Aid or the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. It is possible that the law has changed after recording this podcast episode where the information shared does not exactly fit with your specific situation. For the most up-to-date information or to get legal help, please visit 603legalaid.org. Our guest today is Emma Sisti, Deputy Director at 603 Legal Aid, where she also manages the pro bono program that connects volunteer attorneys in New Hampshire with people who have civil legal needs and cannot afford to hire an attorney. Before working at 603 Legal Aid, Emma spent 15 years as a public defender. Today, she's here to talk about the civil legal procedure called criminal records annulment. Emma, it's great to have you on the show today. Shane, thank you so much for having me. Criminal record annulments is one of my absolute favorite topics. Well, we're going to dive right in then, Emma. And what I'd like to first ask is, what does it mean or technically mean to have a criminal record annulled? What it means is it's a legal pathway to giving individuals a clean slate. It's a way to recognize people who have done what the criminal justice system has asked of them, to recognize those efforts towards that they've made towards their rehabilitation, and give them that opportunity to start fresh. I have a few questions to kind of get at the why then. Why is this something that a court system would offer in the first place? Well, the reason why that it's why it's offered is what I just said, that it's an ability for the court system to say, you've done what we've asked of you, so now we are going to let you go forth as if this had never happened. And the reason why that's so important is because criminal records, as we know, go their reaches far greater than just being used in the criminal court context. They are used when people are trying to apply for jobs, when they're applying for housing, when they're applying for education when they're applying for loans, and it really impacts a person's ability to move beyond the problem that got them that criminal record to start with, even if they have made significant efforts to rehabilitate. And you you raised a number of different examples of how it can impact someone's life. So when you get something um, annulled like this, uh, what does that actually mean then to have your record annulled? Like, where, where does that happen? If you could explain that a bit further. Where does it happen? It, it happens at the court. So it's a court process. What it means to have your record annulled is really it's a lot of paperwork, to be quite frank. It's, it's a lot of paperwork to get your petition for annulment in front of a judge who then makes a decision about whether that conviction should be taken off your record. It is discretionary for all situations other than um, non-convictions, so just arrests. So if you had an arrest that resulted in a non-conviction, a dismissal, a not guilty, or if the prosecutor decided to not move forward with the prosecution, that's called a null pros, any of those situations, those arrests are still showing up on your record. And so you can have those arrests annulled, but convictions are discretionary and judges can decide whether or not a person 
should have that record annulled. And so the paperwork to get there, having that done properly is very important to a person's success, successful annulment. So that's really helpful. And let me see if I can then take that a step further, because I, I have to say, walking into this, I think from an outsider perspective, you might think about criminal records as those convictions that are on your record. But just to make sure I understand this, you're also saying that if I were arrested, even if, let's say, the charges were dismissed later, would that arrest would still be on a record somewhere? Is that right? That's absolutely correct. And so this is a way or a process where I could take something for which I may have been arrested for but never found guilty of and get those records annulled off of the court records. Is, is that what you're meaning as well? Yes. So there is a process to have those non-convictions removed from your record. And so if I were arrested, went to a trial, and even found not guilty of the charges, does that arrest still show up in the record on the first place? Like that doesn't go away. Is that correct as well? That's correct. It does not go away. Nothing just disappears off your criminal record without some affirmative steps being taken. And and so you mentioned when you go to get a record annulled, if it's something that is short of a conviction, is it a process where there's, let's say, more of a likelihood that you could get those particular records annulled as compared to a conviction? So non-convictions are, it's what the statute refers to as a, a mandatory annulment. So if you petition to annul a non-conviction, there is not discretion about whether that should be granted. The caveat there is that all of the charges related to that arrest, so everything that came out of that encounter had to have been resolved in a non-conviction manner. So if you were arrested for a DWI and you also had um, charges of reckless conduct and, say, disorderly conduct, all part of that one arrest, all of those charges would have to be non-convictions in order for you to be able to annul those charges, that arrest. And that, that's a mandatory. As soon as the person asks for it, the judge in those non-conviction cases would order the annulment because it's, it's a mandatory requirement on the judge to do so. Am I understanding that correctly? That is what the statute says, yes. But interestingly, it's not like it happens automatically. Is that what you're saying as well? Right. It's not automatic. You do have to take the affirmative steps to request the annulment. So, you know, you've been doing this for several years now. How, how well known is that um, difference, the distinction that you heard it from my own surprise, I think, in my voice that a non-conviction, it stays on your record. You have to actually ask for it. And if you ask for it, a judge then has to annul it. But do people know that? I don't think that they do. I don't think that that's... I. Th- I believe that the move to make non-conviction sort of a mandatory annulment if the petition is filed was intended to assist people to make more charges eligible for annulment sooner. But the messaging so often does not get to the people who need it most. So I believe that in general, that is something that people are not aware of. It's not on any, you're not told that at the time in court, nobody has to tell you this information. So you really, it's on you to figure it out on your own. Well, I guess that's a good reason to be uh, on this podcast with us then today. So I appreciate you sharing that information. 
And so let me move forward then if we talk about uh, convictions then. This is something where you uh, have been charged and you've been found guilty either because you've pled or you were found guilty uh, in in a hearing. You can also get those annulled as well. Is that correct? Yes. And you mentioned that's a discretionary process. Could you walk through a little bit about how and why that might work in a discretionary way with the judge? Sure. So it's discretionary in the sense that a petitioner has to meet certain criteria before they are eligible to petition to annul. And then the judge can review that petition and make a decision about whether it is in the interest of the person's rehabilitation to grant the annulment. So that's where the discretion comes in. So a person who has been convicted of a class A misdemeanor criminal mischief. They pled guilty. They received a uh, six-month sentence, all suspended for two years. The way you would determine when that person's eligible for annulment is you would, you have to look at both the period of suspension, that two-year window, and the period of annulment, which is three years from the date of completion of the sentence for a class A misdemeanor. So the total period of time the person needs to wait is five years from date of conviction. And then during that five-year period, the person would have needed to be of good behavior, not get any new criminal convictions during that time, and have completed all the terms of their sentence. And if the person can demonstrate that that is true, then a judge will review that to determine whether the annulment is in that person's interest for rehabilitation. And are all criminal convictions eligible for annulment, or are there certain types that one could not get an annulment for um, in New Hampshire? There are definitely types that cannot be annulled. So the statute carves out a group of charges, violent crimes, that are not eligible for annulment. Those include um, murder, rape, first-degree assault, kidnapping, class A felony arson, robbery, and some other sexual offenses, and then also felony witness tampering or felonious obstructing government operations. So there, it's a list, certainly. And if you have any of those convictions on your record, then you cannot annul any conviction on your record. I see. So someone out there that's listening um, who may be, you know, depending on how you view these these sort of uh, activities, if, if there's a concern about a record being completely annulled, what you're saying is that there's certainly a carve out for these very serious crimes, as you've mentioned. And then there's the opportunity for someone to uh, have other what we'll call nonviolent crimes annulled from your record if it serves the purposes of rehabilitation. So there is this sort of balance, uh, if you will, from what I'm hearing. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And so, you know, and New Hampshire, like many states, have definitely been a struggle for years with an epidemic crisis with uh, substance abuse and misuse and, and various disorders. And so there are people that are, you know, within the criminal justice system who are entering recovery and finishing sentences for drug-related crimes. Are drug-related crimes eligible for annulment? Yes, in general, they are eligible for annulment. So in 2019, the annulment statute was amended to make misdemeanor and felony possession charges eligible for annulment after two years. So two years after completion of a sentence. 
that significantly reduced the period of time a person would need to wait for those straight possession charges. So that does not include possession with intent to distribute or sales charges, just possession. A person is found in possession of some amount of drugs, usually for personal use, and they pled guilty or they were found guilty after trial, those convictions would be eligible for annulment now two years after completion of the sentence. And the reason why that was changed was because there was a recognition that in order for people to, you know, continue on their path of recovery, we needed to give them opportunities to move beyond their drug convictions. Their drug convictions should not define them as a person, and they should be able to access services and be full members of the community and of society. And we needed to give them that that opportunity. And so I've heard you mention some timelines, particularly with the drug-related offenses. And you mentioned, I think, other dates as well. I think a five-year thing was mentioned before. So could you uh, highlight what would the standard timeline be for someone who wants to start the process for annulment? Oh, Shane, I wish there was a standard timeline. That would make things so much easier. The annulment statute does set forth sort of general standards for how long a person needs to wait. But it is really incumbent upon an individual to be able to know what their record is to be able to calculate that time period properly. So in general, Class A misdemeanors are eligible for annulment three years after completion of a sentence. Class B felonies would be five years after completion of a sentence. And Class A felonies, 10 years after completion of a sentence. Those are sort of the big general categories. And then we have drug possession charges, which are nullable two years after completion of a sentence, and violation-level offenses, which are, I believe, generally annullable one year after completion of a sentence. So the problem arises not that the statute doesn't set forth timelines, but that in order to be able to calculate what your individual timeline is, you have to know what your convictions were for, whether you had any suspended sentences, because completion of a sentence means you have to start after that suspension window has run. And then you have to know, are there any other convictions on your record that maybe preceded your last conviction, but has a longer annulment window? So you really, it is a lot of math, simple lawyer math, but math nonetheless to figure out when a person is eligible. Yeah, it does sound a bit complicated. And I'll I'll go into uh, some follow-up questions on that. I did hear one thing that I make sure I want to clarify. You mentioned how there may be various charges, one that might precede another, and there's different annulment windows. To make sure I understand this correctly, can you get certain charges annulled while there may be other charges out there that can't be annulled? Or do you have to wait for everything? Yeah, unfortunately, you have to wait. So the statute does say that if you have multiple convictions on your record, you cannot annul any of those convictions until all of them are eligible for annulment. I see. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. So uh, so, so someone out there listening that may want to go forward with this process, where would someone even start to begin with a process like this? 
The first place to start is to get a copy of your um, criminal record and your motor vehicle record, and you can request those directly from the Department of Safety and Department of Motor Vehicles. The criminal record costs $25 and the motor vehicle record costs $15. But if you have those in hand and they're complete records, you will be able to review what convictions you have, um, and your criminal record will even show the charges that if you get a full record, not just a conviction-only record, if you get a full record, it will also show the charges that were that resulted in non-convictions. Because if you're going to go through the effort to petition to annul some charges, you may as well file petitions to annul those arrests as well to give yourself truly a clean slate. That's great. So after you've requested the records and then you get those records, you've taken a look and we mentioned it certainly seems complicated to figure out perhaps timelines, et cetera. Where does then one go next? Um, once you have your records in hand and you're ready to, to start making that petition, what would be the next step? The next step, if you want to do it by yourself, would be to go over to the New Hampshire Judicial Branch's website and they have a checklist for what you need to fill out and have in hand in order to file a successful petition to annul. And all of the forms are online as well that you can review and fill out and sign and submit on your own behalf. I would suggest that if you have a complicated criminal and motor vehicle record, that it does really benefit you to have somebody, a professional, an attorney look at it to help you sort out what is or is not eligible for annulment and help you determine that timeline. So if you wanted to, if somebody wanted to, they could contact us at 603 Legal Aid, either through our website or our phone, and we could start the process of providing people with assistance to sort that out. That's really helpful to hear. And Assuming you get that outside help, or if you've worked through it yourself, you'd mentioned that you submit the documents. Is that submitted online now, or is that something you mail in? They're not. They have to district. Well, it depends. If you have a district court record, district court does not have e-filing for criminal cases. And so you would have to submit those in person. The petitions need to be filed in each court that the charges were. So if you have charges out of multiple courts, you need to file those petitions in each court that you have the convictions or charges out of. If you have superior court convictions, they do have e-filing, so you would have to e-file those petitions. And you mentioned the, the various filings, so and that, that's where it may benefit to get that assistance, either from 603 Legal Aid or other assistance. Absolutely, and, and one of the services that we provide at 603 Legal Aid is, I because I do have a good understanding and I can read a criminal record fairly quickly. I do review those criminal record annulment petitions, or excuse me, criminal record annulment applications when they come in, and I review people's records. And I do help them determine out of the gate whether they're eligible or not. If they are eligible, we do place those cases with pro bono attorneys who help people at no charge to them. And if they are not eligible, I send people letters explaining why and the steps they need to take to become eligible so that they have the information they need to be able to move forward. And the filing itself, as you mentioned, it, it appears that you may be filing multiple petitions to various courts because the charges may relate to the various 
courts as well. As, so it's not as easy, let's say, unfortunately, to submit it all in one place. It does have to sort of be parceled out sometimes. It does. And there is a filing fee of $125. And so in the event that a person is indigent or lower income, and if they're receiving services through 603 Legal Aid, we would provide the attorney with what's called a certificate of indigency, which the attorney could file along with the petitions to have that filing fee waived. So there are some benefits to going through us in that sense is that we can help save that $125 filing fee. And if you have multiple courts in which you have to file, that that fee can really add up over time. Yes, absolutely. And is it then basically on income or indigency, that's one way to get a waiver. Are there any other ways to have a fee waived or is that the main way to do it? So the, unfortunately, you have to demonstrate indigency to have that fee waived. So if you are a person who does not meet the indigency standards, either through 603 Legal Aid or you choose to file on your own, you can fill out a financial affidavit at the court and they will make a determination about your ability to pay at the court if you are filing on your own. So that's the only way. It's just really based on your ability to pay. Otherwise, you have to pay that $125 filing fee. So in addition to the financial piece to this, which can be an obstacle, but we've talked about the waiver for those that would qualify, are there other common roadblocks or obstacles that you've seen people encounter as they apply for this? I really think the biggest obstacle is the statute itself, Shane. It is a complicated statute. There are many things that are not readily apparent in the statute that would preclude somebody from obtaining an annulment. And you have to know where to look. And it's very tricky in that sense that all of the information is not in one place. And I don't think that is, you know, a malicious decision, but I do think it makes it much harder for people to do these petitions successfully on their own when they don't know where to look to find the information. Well, that's why I think it's me personally, at least the opinion here is that it's so helpful to have you and 603 Legal Aid to be out there to help navigate. And even this podcast, just so people that are listening to this even knows that this is a process that uh, one can use. So we really appreciate the info you've shared so far. And the next question that I'd ask is, it sounds complicated. So what if someone happens to make a mistake during the process? What, what would happen in that case? So there's, there's two paths that a mistake can result in going. So one path is that the court looks at the mistake and determines that they're going to deny the petition. If the petition is denied, then a person needs to wait another three years before they can file again. So you do get penalized if the court denies your petition. If the court dismisses your petition because it finds it is untimely, even though deny and dismiss sound like the same thing, they are different in terms of the effect. And the dismissal for untimeliness does not necessarily result in a penalty, but it will, the concern that we have here at 603 Legal Aid is that it will dissuade somebody from going back and applying again when they are eligible because they had a bad experience or because they don't understand the ramifications of the dismissal and they think that it's going to result in a worse outcome. So it is 
you know, our goal here at 603 Legal Aid and legal aid services in general is to close that access to justice gap, right, to make it easier for people to utilize the court system and to be treated fairly and to receive the same results as somebody who had means. And it is difficult to do that. And it hurts people when they do this process on their own and then they don't understand the result the difference between a dismissal or a denial. And we don't want people to not get what they deserve and what they've worked so hard for just because they made a mistake. So that's why we're here to help on that end. And so if I could um, just dive into that a little bit deeper, when you mentioned the word dismissal and untimeliness, is that um, essentially a case where someone tried to get it annulled, but for various reasons, we talked about these various uh, time frames that they're just not in the right time frame for that particular situation to be annulled. Is that the typical reason why that's dismissed? That's correct. Yeah. And then back to denial. Then, what are the typical reasons for a denial in, in your experience? A denial could be issued because the person's criminal record is not eligible for annulment, so they have one of those charges on their record that cannot be annulled under any circumstances. A denial could also be the result of a contested hearing where the state objects to the petition to annul and the court makes a determination that it's not in the per, you know, in the person's rehabilitative interest at this time to grant it. So the court uses its discretion to deny rather than grant. So that would be what a denial would be. I see. And that's helpful for me to maybe ask that next level question. So when you make a petition, I didn't really ask, I guess, this question. It feels like there might be check boxes you fill out in the petition, but I presume, is there a way in writing you're supposed to lay out um, why the petition should be granted, uh, perhaps why uh, this serves your rehabilitative purposes? Is that how you plead your case, if you will, to the court? So helpfully, the court and the judicial branch have developed forms for filing petitions to annul. So they're standard forms and they are basically check boxes. You're right. So you check off, you have to fill in, you know, what conviction you're asking to be annulled, what the sentences were, when, you know, when the conviction was, and then you submit it. And you can also check a box on that form asking for a hearing and the court can order the hearing if it is not inclined to grant the petition on its face. And so instead of just denying it without a hearing, the court would order a hearing if it wasn't sure it wanted to grant it automatically. I see. And so that might be obviously where if you're getting your legal help from a pro bono attorney or 603 legal aid, that um, that's the type of discussion you might have with an attorney to get a little more help on the strategy, if you will, if there's a concern, it might be denied uh, and what you might need to provide at that hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. The attorney would be able, yeah, the attorney would be able to provide some guidance as to, you know, whether we should ask for a hearing or not, you know, like everything, right. You, your relationships matter. And so, you know, the attorney who's helping you with the annulment would be able to speak with the prosecutor to see if they were going to oppose it in advance. And then that would help you make that determination about, you know, your strategy move. 
And you mentioned the state's piece in this and the prosecutor. Is, is this something where every time a petition is filed, the state and the prosecutor have an opportunity to either agree or disagree with the request, or is it only go to them in certain cases? In most cases, the state has the opportunity to weigh in because as we discussed with convictions, those annulments are in general discretionary. So granting them is discretionary. So the state does have the opportunity to, you know, object or not object prior to the granting of the motion or the granting of the petition, sorry. That's helpful and kind of takes us back to the beginning of the the purposes and all of the different interests at stake. And as you mentioned, there's the rehabilitative purposes and, and the state has a role to play as well. And then you have obviously the judiciary that will weigh in at the end. So to, to wrap up, you mentioned getting assistance and, and other matters. Are there any other pieces of advice you would want to leave in the minds of our listeners as we uh, close this podcast? I think what I'd like to leave off with is that you deserve that second chance. So if you have a criminal record and you have moved past those days of when you know, your behavior resulted in these charges coming about and these convictions happening and you've been on the straight and narrow, you deserve that chance. You deserve that chance for a clean slate. And I would strongly encourage people with criminal records to try to look at them and see whether they are eligible to annul because criminal records can really be such a burden to other aspects of your life. You don't deserve that burden. You deserve to be treated with dignity and with respect and for the person who you are now and not always to be judged by that worst moment in your life. And we want to help you get to that point. So if you have a criminal record, if you're not sure if you're eligible, let us know. And we would be happy to help you sort that part out. Well, thank you, Emma. You shared a lot of eye-opening information, particularly, I know one takeaway for me, it was just even the act of being arrested, even if you've never been found guilty and how one must take those proactive steps to get that annulled and that it's even possible and certainly is mandatory here in New Hampshire, as you pointed out, and all the other different facets of this uh, fairly complicated area. So uh, I thank you for sharing that. And I also thank you for your uh, service to the public interest. I, I note that you've been a public defender for 15 years, and now you're here with 603 Legal Aid. So thank you so much for your uh, career of public service. Thank you, Shane. This has been really lovely. And I hope more people look at their records and, and take those steps because it's so important to help raise up our entire community. Thanks for spending your time with us, Emma. Thank you, Shane. This was Granite Justice, a podcast collaboration of the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law, 603 Legal Aid, New Hampshire Legal Assistance, the New Hampshire Campaign Legal Services, and the Granite State News Collaborative. Thanks for your time. 